Hello and welcome to Real Indigenous, where we look at everything on your screens and everything in between. Our usual hosts are here, uh, Pagalea FC, Uvanga Angela Starts, Anupiak, and then have the other hosts introduce themselves. Tolly, go. Halito, Chimachukma, this is Tolly. Madewika, this is Sunrise Tipikani. It's Jay, this is Noeta Harjo. Osio and Huey, this is Candice. And today we have a very special guest. If you'll introduce yourself, sir. Uh, hi, my name is Wes Studi. And what do you do for a living, Mr. Studi? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I like to call myself an actor, and then I also uh, follow up with, uh, you know, I don't really call this a living, you know? It's a loving, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> we can always depend on Tully to come up with a good one there. <laughs> You're pretty much a hyphenated like most natives, right? I mean, you've done some artwork, you've done some activism, you've done some directing, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I've done a, yeah, a, a little bit of all of those. Yeah, I have. Ooh, I wonder if, if, if you'll allow me, can I bring back a way back Wednesday? My husband just so happens to have in his collection, The Adventures of Billy Bean. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think I have one of each myself. Okay, you're going to tell the rest of us what that is. Those were uh, books prepared for uh, elementary school in uh, Cherokee County back in the 1970s, I believe it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I worked for a uh, Cherokee bilingual education center in uh, uh, outside Tahlequah, near Cherokee Nation, uh, and... Uh, the Bilingual Education Center uh, worked with uh, developing uh, uh, methods of teaching and actually provided teachers for uh, classes around the area for uh, beginning learners and people who were in between uh, adults as well as kids. But one of the things that we had to do for uh, the grant purposes were uh, to produce uh, uh, material for the elementary schools, which this uh, the the adventures of Billy Bean came from. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Agnes Cowan. Agnes Cowan. Agnes Cowan. Wow. Yeah. 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 How did you know? Oh, I've studied this. I uh, I I for my desk job, I, I work. Uh, I work for a museum and I came across these really cool illustrations by Nick Forkiller and my husband works yeah. in the Nation language department and they're working on archiving these language materials and Roy, my husband just happened to come across the adventures of Billy Bean. And of course it's Billy Bean by Wesley Studi and illustrated by Nick Forkiller. And so, uh, like that just that work that work and language preservation and that work with the i think the bilingual bilingual cultural center like i'm fascinated by early early cherokee nation uh, language preservation and how they tapped into this blooming community of artists you know such as yourself and artists like nick Forkiller to help perpetuate and put language materials into the communities. So I'm, I'm like fascinated by that early history in the seventies. And of course, native theater in the seventies, like that's 
That's my jam. So I've read about Black Elk Speaks and your time in Tulsa. Uh, there's even an old picture that a friend shared of like that entire cast. And it's anyway, just really rocking. Just really cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Agnes Cowan. Thank you for that uh, reminder. Uh, she, yeah, she was uh, she was a wonderful boss. Uh, tough, but uh uh, you know, she she had her uh, mind and heart in the right place uh, for uh, the things that she was doing at the time. And uh, Nick, uh, Nick and uh, maybe three, four others, we were all a part of the uh, cultural center there um, and all speakers uh, of the language. And that's how uh, I was assigned to create stories for this uh, newsletter to begin with, a newsletter that went out to all the schools about what we were doing uh, and actually went into the public school system. At first, what I did was I just wrote uh, a story every other week uh, about a character called Billy Bean, which uh, I drew from my own experience as a young man in the uh, in Cherokee County. And uh, after a while, uh, Agnes came up with the idea, well, let's publish a book of the short stories after I think there's maybe nine or 10 in the first book. And then after that, uh, I think I moved on to someone, something, uh, doing something else. But uh, in, in the meantime, Agnes got in touch with me, said, hey, do you think you would like to write a, uh, a longer version of uh, Billy Bean, and that's what the uh, more adventures of Billy Bean, for lack of a better title, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, was. And so, yeah, I, uh, I like to re refer to it as a novella. <laughs> that's, a, that's a short novel, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the, those uh, books, I, I'm asked about them from time to time. Uh, and uh, really don't know whatever became of them. Uh, they sold them there at Cherokee Nation for a while. But uh, when we were working at uh, Cherokee Nation, the, the cultural center, I had worked for Cherokee Nation at the time when all Cherokee Nation consisted of was uh, a very small building and uh, some warehouses that had been converted into uh, a program that was for uh, Cherokee communications training kind of a thing, which we were all a part of. And uh, it, it certainly has grown since then. Uh, that was back in the, in, in the 70s sometimes, uh, as I remember. Billy Bean. And come to find out, there really is a Billy Bean. And he's a baseball player uh, of some <laughs> wow. review. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether he's Cherokee or not, I, I don't know. But uh, that's just the name that I came up with was uh, Billy Bean. Yeah, well, I've read some of your writing as well, Telly. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You actually spoke some dialogue of what I've written. So I've always been honored to have that happen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I helped write the uh, uh, Ronnie Bodine script. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Bodine. And then before that, uh, I think, weren't you um, part of uh, script writing on some uh, previous uh, Sterling's uh, work? Not Sterling, uh, a lot of uh, Steve Judd. We, we used to, we, well, we oh, still. Oh, yes. 
Excuse me. Yeah, I get those two guys mixed up sometimes. All you young guys are coming from everywhere these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We work together on a lot of stuff, and always, you know, it's always fun to to create these things. And the thing that I like about you playing Ronnie Bodine is that ever, ever since Powell Highway, I've always wanted to see you do more comedy. And so it makes me happy to see you do this and then also do Sterling's TV show because that's the West duty that I like fell in love with as an actor because, you know, I do love you as a serious guy and uh, as, a, as the bad guys, but the, the one that I really like is always the West duty who, who makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's laughter is a great sauce for life. You know, I mean, we just simply cannot do without it. And uh, uh, I, I've always uh, kind of prided myself for going for the cheap shot. You know, anytime I can throw one in there, we get a laugh. Great. You know, life <laughs> is life. And we love it. So now you're doing voiceover work for Spirit Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I finally I finally sat down and watched the whole uh, uh, what was released uh, on uh, what is it? Uh, it was, is it Netflix? Netflix. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, I watched that. I thought, yeah, that's 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 a fun thing. I wish I'd had that when I was a kid, but uh, everybody says that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun, and uh, also. Uh, I've been working on uh, reading uh, books, uh, something I started way back in the day when uh, readers were doing books to tape. You guys probably may have remembered that, but uh, <clears throat> I, I read some books way back in the day uh, when I was first getting started as a matter of survival. You know, But uh, uh, then later on, I had the opportunity to read uh Vine Deloria Jr.'s books started oh, wow. out with one called uh, The World We Used to Live In or the uh, something like, yeah, I think the, the way the, the way we used to live or the world we used to live in. In any case, uh, <clears throat> there's that memory again, but uh, read that and it's available on Audible. Uh, it has been for about two years now, I think. It's something, something like that, but uh, just finished up uh, a few months ago the book that was probably his most popular called God is Red. And uh, we're in, we're in uh, the, the moment of waiting for Audible to uh, uh, okay and release it, uh, but we've done all of the work and it's edited and uh, ready to go for uh, uh, would, what would be his, uh, it's like 50 years since uh, that book was released, and also his what would have been his ninetieth birthday. Wow! So uh, we're looking forward to release the release of that because that uh, God is Red is you know one of God. I don't know how many books he wrote released, uh, but God is Red uh, from my reading of it uh, is actually contains uh, a bit of almost everything else, all of the other books that he wrote. Uh, there's some, there's uh, something in God is Read that is explored further in, in, in other books. But uh, he was quite a thinker and uh, 
and a man for all ages, you know, he's an amazing man. I'm sorry I never got to meet him, but uh, uh, he was someone who sort of stayed back from the uh, the action going on, but was in his own way very much a part of it all because he was quoted many times over the years uh, since the the activism of uh, the late 60s and 70s. And that's... Uh, uh, wherein, where he drew a lot of his uh, uh, essays and uh, what he and chapters of his books uh, uh, were were all about, you know, comparisons of uh, actually God is read as a, a comparison of uh, religions, not only here in North America but around the world, you know. Uh, uh, but in any case, I've, I've been uh, doing that for a while and. Uh, want to continue to do more uh, voiceover work. It's it's great work if you can get it, you know. I know that some voiceover people, they uh, they start to have, like, the installation of a room. And I'm curious if you've, like, designed a room at <laughs> your own home for that. <laughs> you see what I got here? I mean, it, no, I, I got nothing like that, no. <laughs> but I do have a really great, uh, really great studio uh, here in town where I work most of the... Uh, you know, the commercial work of it. And uh, uh, the book reading is because I do it with a friend uh, from way back, uh, Bobby Bridger. He he was uh, uh, an acquaintance, uh, perhaps a very good friend of Vines, and that's how he wound up with the rights to uh, do these uh, uh, audiobooks, uh, at least a number of them. In any case, uh, our studio there is put together by a, a very professional sound engineer who likes to work in his home. So we work in his home studio there to, in uh, in Texas, which uh, while there are many lovely people in Texas, there are also a lot that aren't so lovely, you know. So it's a matter of <laughs> it's kind of like going into... Uh, Enemy territory if you're in New Mexico, you know, <laughs> or even <Yeah>. Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Did, is there anything that you discovered that you feel like might be um, a new revelation to you going through the reading of it this time? Is there something that seemed like maybe you hadn't thought about it before or seems more resonant today than it did when it first came out? A number of things that made me raise my eyebrows and go, oh, really? And one of them was the fact that uh, that Jesus had a brother and a sister, maybe. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I guess it would have to be like a, a half-brother and half-sister, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, from a different dad there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and theoretically, right. that's a discussion amongst uh, religious scholars, because in that era, there were a lot of siblings. You know, if you you know read the Christian Bible of how beget, all these people beget, 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 and there's brothers and yeah. sisters that go out. So you would think that Jesus would have relatives. And the uh, other thought is... Uh, that Father Guido Sargici would say he had a brother named Billy Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Christ. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's just a, 
an incredible read. And while I did read like Custer died for your sins and uh, God has read back in the day, I really didn't get the gist of what he was really saying, simply because most of us were just looking for quotes to be used when making talks about the activism that was going on at that time, you know. Uh, but he, he goes so much deeper into uh, philosophy uh, of, uh, of life as well as how it, uh, how, how it matters to us to this day, you know, or how it could or should matter to us. Uh, to this day. It's just mind-boggling. I, I think each time you read, uh, it, you probably find something new and different, you know? Great for thought. That's amazing. That sounds to me like Bucky on Reservation Dog should be reading God is Red. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to quantum, yeah. uh, quantum physics. Right. Right. Quantum right. Connected. It's all connected. It's quantum physics is basically what yeah. religion is, right? Physics. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Darn right. Your performance on Reservation Dogs is one of my favorites because it is a comedic side that we don't get to see much of you. Compared to your earlier work and, and the work you're doing now, are you liking that more? Or, or are you do you want to do more of the dramatic? You know, what's what's your favorite, I guess, genre that you're that you've done in the past? Well, first let me say Oh, sister. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> uh, I'm uh I really don't differentiate uh, between the two uh, of, of comedy and or uh, or dramatic roles. Um, I I enjoy both of them, uh, and uh, and actually they're they're I j I put them into one category, and that's called performance. And uh, be it comedic or be it dramatic, it's just a, a pleasure to do uh, because. I love performing. You know, I, I guess that what uh, I'm really looking for is uh, <laughs> uh, approval and or acceptance or something. But in any case, uh, um, it's just uh, some part of my own human nature, I guess. But uh, I uh, I enjoy doing both and uh, rather not differentiate. But I, I noticed that over the years, I've become much looser in my performance. So, and that has has helped a lot uh, <clears throat> because I'm not trying so hard as I did when I first started out. Uh, you know, it's a matter of okay, this is my performance. You want it or not? You know, <laughs> ta-da! Take it or leave it. <laughs> Well, the climate has changed a lot, considering now that we're getting a lot more uh, TV shows and films that are you know, coming to the forefront. So, I mean, the, the climate back then had to be a little bit, you had to be a little bit more, I guess, serious about what you were doing then, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, and like you say, uh, uh, the climate has changed. And I, I think uh, the the fact that, uh, that we're, we're uh, so much more accepted uh, as as people in a contemporary on a contemporary basis. That's the big that's the big deal because when uh, when I started out, there simply wasn't room for that. Uh, you know, there were there wasn't anything available in those terms except for. Uh, I know that uh, there was a series that. Uh, uh, was, that was tried out. Uh, it, it was. It had a, a name like 
some kind of street, uh, but it was a contemporary Native family living in kind of an urban area. Was uh, it Grand Boulevard? Grand Avenue. Grand Avenue. Grand Avenue. Grand Grand Avenue, yeah, and that that uh, went maybe for a season, uh, but wasn't picked up after that. But uh, uh, the effort was being made at that time, and, and uh, unfortunately, because uh, Grand Avenue didn't uh, go over so well, uh, it, it was something new that the audiences simply didn't know how to deal with. I think at the time, uh, uh, but in any case, so. What uh, what was left for us as performers were essentially dramatic uh, roles in uh, uh, westerns, and uh, uh, essentially it that was essentially it at the time, you know. Uh, and so that's why I always think about uh, when I say that uh, leathers and feathers are my bread and butter. Uh, you know, that's simply how it was at the time and that was the only way to get into the uh, business at least for me uh, uh and i think that has a lot to do with your image you know uh i'm i'm identifiably native i think um and and being so that uh, more or less puts you into that that into that uh category of type of performer that you are and that's that's what i fell into and luckily as time went on after the early 90s you know i was able to sort of cross over into uh, um, other kinds of roles that were sort of mainstream and that was just damn lucky for me you know is all i can say it was damn lucky for me that those things happened and i had i had a good manager who was uh more than willing to submit me for parts that were not necessarily native, you know? And uh, unfortunately, I think what can happen is that right now, uh, if you're identifiably native, agents and managers really are looking to represent natives, mainly because uh, of... Uh, Reservation Dogs and and uh, the, the one with Michael and uh, uh, yeah Rutherford Rutherford Falls Falls and all you know so wherein television and streaming came together at a time when there was so much more content that's looked for right I mean the demand for content is huge uh, and growing simply because of that and. Uh, studios and uh, networks are willing to hey we need let, let's step out this way and try uh natives in the contemporary uh, uh climate you know uh, and so this has been very good for us and uh but i still go back to saying that in my career it was a, it was a matter of leather and leathers and feathers to uh to get into the business one way or another you know and I don't decry that. Uh, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Uh, <laughs> it uh, it was my door in, more or less. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do to survive and be on screen. And uh, mm. it, I'm sure it, your work has had some influence on where we are today in terms of just seeing Native people in roles that are not in the past. You know, like I thought it was a big thing when you were in Heat. I think it was a big thing for me in Deep Rising where you're just simply a, an individual that happened to be native. I don't think we would be here without that 
presence of you. I'm curious to see if that continues. I think uh, right now we're having this renaissance, but I'm, 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 I'm wondering if we're going to be able to expand beyond native content and just be people on screen like you had that opportunity for. Well, yeah, I agree with you. And, and I share the same fear because I've seen it happen two to three times. You know, in my career, we're in all of a sudden, hey, wow, look, the Indians are here. Let's check them out, you know, and then sort of slowly fade into the uh, what's the next big thing. Right. Uh, And so while I share that fear with you or anxiety about that, I am also very, uh, I'm optimistic because there are so many more of, like I said, you young guys getting uh, involved in at all and different levels and mainly because of the writing, you know, I mean, the, the written form has to be there for those of us who perform the words. And uh, the fact that uh, the writing, the writing is good. The writing is is the reason I think that these programs, these uh, shows, are are uh, uh, managing the success that they that they've uh, created, and uh, I, that's that's what I've always said in terms of the business itself. Is it's all it's all in the writing. It has to start somewhere, you know, the stories. That's always been my argument. How native storytelling in in media comes in phases, and a lot of times, like you said, where the stereotype of Hollywood is that, well, Indians aren't hip anymore because this show didn't succeed. It's like one show that didn't succeed. And then they're just like, well, Indians aren't cool anymore. Let's go to the next big thing. And so for me, it's always like they put us in these boxes of, like you said, the leather and feather and the, and expect us to get famous or get known as, as these stories. But these are very stereotyped stories of our people. And us as Indians will show up, but a lot of times the Western society will not show up. But if you tell great stories that is universal and it has Indians in it, I feel like that's how we kind of get them and, and do our, you know, count and coup with them by showing that, you know, we do have great stories and it also is connected to our uh, culture, but it's also universal stories. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that we're willing to share them, that, that's a that's an aspect of it, too. You know, in my lifetime, it, it's been a matter of uh, I'm Cherokee, and uh, the, the first time we ever had a news crew out of, uh, I don't know, Channel 6 or one of those two out of Tulsa there come out to see a stomp dance over at Bayan was in my lifetime and that was in the i believe in the 80s sometimes and it was a matter of uh a lot a lot of uh, a lot of the indians said no nah, we shouldn't do that we we can't share that we're just giving it away and we're just giving away what they've been stealing anyway you know that that attitude was very prevalent at the time and uh, there was reason for it you know there's definitely reason for it but on the other hand if we wanted to see ourselves on screen and if we wanted to be a part of the world, we have to share who we are, what we do, how we do it differently from others, maybe, or how similarly we do it from other people. Uh, but, you know, it, I think it finally came to the point that uh, we decided 
that, yes, we want to become a part of the mainstream of the world because, in essence, we already were. I mean, throughout history, we've, we, we as people uh, of, the, of North America have influenced the development of this United States that we live in uh, to a, a great form, great amount, you know? And, and in fact, our relationship with the U.S. government and the public is still a work in progress, you know? It th so many things are fairly up in the air, like water law and Indian law are like two of the same thing, right? It, it's, it's a matter of us, if we want to participate in terms of uh, mass media, which is something that has been brought up with by a lot of people lately is that, uh, you know, when I was a, when I said I, I wish I had had that when I was a kid, you know, it, it was the fact that we didn't have it was the problem, you know, <laughs> uh, and then we, we, you know, we have to look inward, too. You know, it, it's, it's not just looking outward to to. Uh, uh, to the source of our problems. Our problems sometimes are manifest within ourselves and we have to change too, you know? And that's the good thing about the participation that we have of natives in mass media now. Uh, the fact that it came about was a, uh, I think a decision that uh, we finally came to uh, after Things happened like, uh, you know, the group Ulali, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. and those oh, yeah. girls, when they yeah. came to Oklahoma back in the 80s sometimes to perform, uh, one of the big things that all of the men said there was, they're using drums. Women's, women are supposed to use drums. You know, they're not supposed right. to sing that. And then... You know, they they actually were almost blackballed for doing that, you know, but wow. they, that was their performance. And they, uh, you know, they overcame as time went on, you know, they be, they 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 overcame simply by uh, continuing to do the kinds of performances that they that they do that that made them uh, who they are. It was a matter of the rest of us accepting that. And as time went on, we did because they kept at it. And and I thank them for that. You know, it's, it, it was a huge thing. And then we began to spread out into other forms of entertainment. And, uh, well, here we are. We're still a work in progress. Yeah, that's well put. <laughs> we are a work in progress. Yeah, and I and I do feel like we are in like this good era right now, almost where they're wanting our stories now. They're wanting our actors. They're wanting our creators. And so we're seeing a lot of stuff coming out. We got Echo coming out next year and we got, you know, other shows and it's different from, you know, when, you know, I saw on uh, IMDb that you, you you were in a TV movie called Long Arm and your character was called The Ute. <laughs> And so, and so now we got, you know, Wes Studi, you know, now the comedy actor. And so I think there's a lot of like really great trajectory that you've had. And I kind of would like to know like your beginnings of how you, you know, got to where you are today, like how you got to acting, how, how you did that. Well, well, I got into acting right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma with the uh, a group that when I became involved was 
in formation, if you will. Uh, it was uh, American Indian Theater Company uh, of Tulsa. And uh, it developed uh, out of a, uh, a, a program called Taikata. What it was was actually a, uh, a government program that was working on uh, alcohol and drug abuse. And Taikata was run by a man named Jay White Crow, Seneca guy. That was his program. And what, one of the things that they brought up for people in the programs was theater as a uh, as something to do besides drinking and partying and carrying on. That's what uh, Taikata put together was the program and the, the theater company itself built around that initial idea and began to spread out to people who weren't necessarily a part of the program and began developing uh, workshops and uh, well, workshops and, and different other kinds of training on stage and behind stage. And so the theater company came together like that. Um, and it was housed, Taikata was housed in Tulsa at uh, Church Studios, in the basement of Church Studios. You know where they are now, yeah, right? Awesome. I think uh, Aragon, Aragon and uh, uh, Nicosi Fields were there not long ago. Uh, I, I saw that uh, Aragon posted on Facebook where they had been doing some of her works there in, in the studio itself. But in any case, Russell, Leon Russell had just put that together and uh, uh, was building the studio and uh, rented out the basement to this program. But in any case, the program uh, or the, the theater company grew out of that and began accepting uh, uh, people who wanted to learn to act. So they were housed in a different building at the time the theater company was, uh, but it was really based there at Taikata. Uh, but uh, so we did workshops and we did uh, performances of plays that were, you know, uh, uh, the very first play I ever did was called uh, Ravenswood, and it's a story has nothing to do with natives one way or the other. And we did plays like The Sting and uh, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, old Broadway plays and whatever are available. But those are the kinds of uh, plays that we did, and we did them anywhere that we could find a stage and an audience you know, we did old folks' homes and uh, school things and stuff, you know, whatever we could do. But in any case, um, the theater company at that point was growing because we were doing these little shows in small theaters there at the Performing Arts on uh, 3rd Street. As time went on, the theater company put together Black Elk Speaks. And that was the first time any of us ever got paid for doing acting work. That's how that came about uh, in terms of me getting involved in uh, the business of acting. And I also, at the same time, worked at a Gaslight Dinner Theater. I think it was on 71st Street from between Tulsa and, and Broken Arrow. And it's a dinner theater <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in uh, we would rehearse for several weeks on any given play and then began to perform it in front of people who are actually there to eat. 
and what, what we were paid paid was twelve dollars a show, all we could eat, and on the weekends we could have two glasses of wine. Oh, nice. <laughs> Did you stick in a doggy bag so you could take some home, some of that food home? Hey, that, that's what foil is for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a matter of that. And then uh, uh, the theater company, after doing uh, Black Elk Speaks with Will Sampson and uh, Kung Fu uh, guy, um, David Carradine. David Carradine. Oh. Uh, yeah, David Carradine. Uh, after that, there was talk of taking on the road. Uh, or making a film of it. You know, they, they, uh, how producers all get all excited about, okay, we're going to go from here to this, you know. uh, Yeah. But in any case, that, that never happened. But in the meantime, after having done or during the time we were doing uh, Black Elk Speaks, I had a chance to audition for Nebraska Educational Television to do uh, a series of uh, short stories about a young boy named Nebraska, which uh, the role went to one of our theater company kids who was about 12, 13 years old at the time. And uh, he was their lead. And uh, uh, myself and uh, J.R. Matthews and uh, maybe a, a, a few others from the uh, company audition got parts on that. And that was our first time, my first time, their first time, too, I think, uh, in front of the camera. So we, we worked that uh, uh, show that uh, was called We Are One. It's it's difficult to find because I was just up in Nebraska a few months ago. They gave me the Standing Bear Award for Courage up there. The, there's a, a a new group uh, called uh, the Standing Bear Project, I believe. But in case, we did that over a summer. That was my first time in front of camera. And then a few, maybe a year or so later, Standing Bear the trial of Standing Bear was a PBS uh, production about the story of Standing Bear and his and his time in uh, in court. And uh, we actually uh, all of, most of us there in Oklahoma got to, or in Tulsa got the chance to audition for parts on that night. I drew a part there, wherein uh, I think I was called something like uh, the. The storyteller, or something like that. <laughs> but in any case, uh, I I became a part of that. So that was two times in front of camera. So uh, that that was how I got into it. But uh, I, I have to say that uh, it was simply a matter of finding what I really enjoyed doing, and that it was possible to make money at it. But I really enjoy doing it, whether it's, you know, whether money is, is involved or not. But it just, it, it was finally, I'm at mid-age and I find something that I really enjoy doing. And you're talking about acting in front of the camera, like that's what you really discovered? Or is it just acting in general you felt like was the discovery? Well, acting in general, because we were all doing it, starting out, it was all on stage, and that's when I discovered that, yes, I love doing this. Yeah, I, I like uh, I like an audience, and I like to be able to win their approval and or 
uh, at least their interest, you know, at, at what I can do on stage. And then there, there's the actual, uh, you know, the mind part of acting in, in terms of getting into someone else's idea of what a person will do. You know, uh, yeah. it's all still a bit of a mystery to me, but uh, I love doing it. You know, I'm wondering if it's still the same now um, after all this time. Yeah. If you if you like the yeah. same things about it, yeah, 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 the, yeah. I still like the same things about it, and and you know, I, over the years I've begun to uh, appreciate how you can put together a person, uh, you know, a role. Essentially, depending on how big the part is or how expanded the part is, uh, you know, you, you have to uh, think about what it is that makes this particular uh, character do what he does. Uh, and so and that helps in terms of performance. You know, Are there any favorite recent ones? <laughs> favorite recent ones? Uh, I I actually enjoyed doing a love song because it was kind of a stretch for me. It, it was something different in uh, the the kind of person that I was playing. Uh, it really didn't have to do with, uh, you know, doing any uh, calisthenics in terms of uh, uh, violence and or, uh, you know, dramatic this and that. It, it was simply uh, a person that uh, I had never played before. I had, I had done that. I had played it in real life. I'm, you know, I, that's the only place you can really, I can really find, you know, where to, how to base a character. But, uh, uh, you know, I, those kinds of situations I had been in, I've been in awkward romantic, sort of semi-romantic situations that uh, it, it was different. Yeah, it was a kind of a stretch for me. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. No shooting guns or, you know. Uh, yeah, but, mm. yeah, I love both you, the actors in that movie and the way that you two interacted in that subtle, charming, yet awkward, shy <laughs> interaction that you had with each other and how, you know, you're trying to help, you know, put up a tent and all this stuff and all the things that you guys do. It was very beautiful. I just wish you were in the whole movie instead of just, a, you know, just a part of it. Oh, yeah. Well, it was essentially a story about her, you know, and right. uh, how, how we deal with everything. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the awkwardness of it was what really drew me to the whole thing when it when it was first proposed. And uh, we did that as, uh, that was the first time I had worked and and SAG had approved actors and uh, had, had approved production again, you know, at the end of uh, 20. Yeah. So I got to experience the idea of the bubble. And you actually, uh, you, you played and sang guitar, you played guitar and sang too on the, on the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, one of my wishes is that you and Gary Farmer get together and put a band together and then record some music. <laughs> do you think you'll ever <laughs> do some recordings of your music? Well, let's hope that Sterling is listening and, and the other writer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Soundtrack music, Sterling. Let's get it going. Yeah, we'll, we'll, somebody will text him. Somebody needs to text him and tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and how, how many writers does he have? There's about four, six, eight of them? Approximately, yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, do some, uh, we'll, do, we'll do some bluesy harp and whatever uh, with, uh, with Gary. I love working with Gary. <laughs> yeah, we, we enjoyed your cover of Tom Petty in that episode. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were all like, Classic. wait, we know they can sing. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's true, right? It, it's an old song. Only only to Candace, it's an old song. The rest of us remember when it first came out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Candace>. <laughs> <laughs> so who else do you like working with besides Gary? Are there some other folks that you, when you hear they're going to be in the cast, you're excited about? Just about anybody and everybody I've worked with before, I love working with them again. Uh, and and I, I actually get excited with the excitement of new people that are involved, you know, like, like people who are uh, just now starting out in the business. They have a, they have a, an excitement about it that is extremely refreshing in terms of my own 30, 40 years in the business. That, uh, <laughs> that it, it's, I remember how it, how it, uh, felt to you know get your first part and or and all that it it's refreshing and it's a reminder that uh life goes on you know life goes on and it uh and and i'm glad it does in in that way you know i, I love the excitement that youngsters bring to uh a uh a, a new production speaking of youngsters how do you feel about um the reboot of the tony hillerman stories that they're doing on amc yeah, the Longhorn character. I'm curious about that. Oh well, uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that, but <laughs> I have to answer. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> Never mind. Uh -oh. <laughs> the you know stories are stories, and and uh, characters are characters, uh, and. Uh, while I've never reprised a, a, a character in anything, uh, I know that uh, so many uh, people have played parts that were originated by someone else. I, I remember when I first went to uh, L.A., I met uh, the guy way, way before Last of the Mohicans. I met uh, this guy who had played Magua. I can't think of his name now, but uh, I met him uh, there uh, at, and at some restaurant or something. But uh, he was a friend of a friend, and uh, he told me about working uh, working that uh, show simply because oh, I'm talking to an Indian here, right? You know, hey, I played an Indian once. <laughs> you know, I'm not one, but I played one in uh, uh, Last of the Mohicans. But uh, and he also played uh, one of those kind of. Uh, Frankenstein characters in Monsters or something like that. Uh, uh, but in any case, now that Zahn is playing uh, Bleephorn, it's uh, a kind of a study in uh, how someone else would do it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm not saying that Zahn might have taken anything from my performance, but who knows? <laughs> inspired by inspired by homage oh well the whole thing is actually in, well they, they call it inspired by the uh the toner hill tony hillerman mysteries uh right 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's interesting to see how someone else does a character that uh, you've already done. In fact, oh, as as it turns out, uh, someone else has done the same thing, and that's uh, famous shoes in uh, Streets of Laredo is one of the uh, Lonesome Dove uh, prequel, sequel kind yeah. of uh, things. The Streets of Laredo has a character named Famous Shoes who never rides a horse. We also did uh, another sequel or prequel of it. I think it was Comanche Moon, wherein someone else played uh, Famous Shoes. He was in it, okay. and that was uh, David Midthunder. Oh, yeah, yeah, David. Right. But, yeah, yeah. I, I had already done Famous Shoes in Streets of Laredo, and then I went on to do uh, Buffalo Hump. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've seen it, uh, seen it happen twice now. Um, so I guess that that's a matter of uh, it's good to be a type, right? Like these days I hear that uh, some uh, casting people when uh, casting use the term, I'd like a West duty type. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I've heard that a lot. As a matter of fact, I'm talking with some people who like think of it as West duty is the narrator of this show that we're trying to produce. And it's like, <laughs> that's easy for me to do. But yeah, yeah but very well. Just get Wes. You become, you know, get Wes. An icon. <laughs> well, it's better to be a type than be typecast. I see. There you go. Yeah. And speaking of that, becoming an icon, I know as a native person <laughs> and as a Cherokee person, I wigged out when you accepted Oscar. Then you spoke your language. And uh, I know everybody around here, uh, I'm based in Tahlequah, everybody around here freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Jesus. In a good way. In a good way. Okay. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Cherokee's being spoken in the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, it was something that I, I, I thought you have to uh, write your own uh, thing, right? Your own speech. So I figured that uh, because I, I do that at other places, I, I I figured that here at the Oscars I should do the same thing as well, you know. Uh, so so I used it uh, used the language on on there and uh, and happy to see that uh, it's being done more and more in uh, you know, public places uh, as well as uh, as well as on film and television. And I have to confess. I was actually on set with you where you were doing a PSA for some virus in Visai, Oklahoma, when you were <laughs> shooting the only good Indians. And we were at this retirement home, I think. And we were all background because like in the hospital and you were talking about how to stop the spread of the bird flu or the swine flu or whatever flu was going around at the time. And I just remember so clearly that you would do the whole thing in English and then back up and do the whole thing again in Cherokee. And we were all just so impressed with how effortlessly you did that. It was it was remarkable. Visai. Yeah. Visai. Um, we were doing uh, actually we were shooting uh, 
dome of heaven. Dome of okay. Right. Dome of heaven. Dome of heaven with Diane Glancy, who is a, a writer from uh, Tulsa, uh, that I that I knew from back in the theater days. Uh, that was that was what she had written, and it starred uh, Thursday Defoe. Thursday Defoe mm-hmm. and uh, right. yeah, Noah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was uh, it was quite. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun to do in terms of. It was totally low budget, but you know. Oh uh, yeah, in Vice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in, <laughs> right. And uh, and I was doing a a PSA for uh, yeah I I remember that in the house yeah party. it was whatever mm. pandemic was going on at the time mm. <laughs> 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 not one thing it's another huh? <laughs> yeah exactly and it was just so cold that day I don't know I don't remember what time of year it was but I remember driving up to Visay from Norman. And the, you know, the car said it was eight degrees. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was cold. And out on those windswept plains of, uh, that's a mm-hmm. Comanche, rap, uh, no, uh, Cheyenne Rebel country. The, yeah, that was, that was really yeah. fun. I mean, we thought it was fun. It was a lot of work for you, but we, we enjoyed watching you work. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, I wanted to be a performer, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the glamorous side of it, right? <laughs> Shooting low-budget indies in Visay, Oklahoma, in eight-degree weather. That's acting, oh, folks. Yeah, yes, Well, that's the part of the appeal of you as an actor, too, is this, these things that you do, because we see you on PSAs when we're at the Indian Clinic, and like um, when they redid the... Uh, Black Elk Speaks play back, I think it was like in the 90s or 2000s, you came back to do that play as Black Elk. So that's the part of what you were saying about how you're, it's more about how your performance and everything. Well, is there anything that you like haven't done that you've just been wanting to do or something that you really want to do? Because we always want to think about what our future thing is going to be. Is there something that you're just like, oh, I really want to do fill in the blank? Well, what I'd like really like to do is expand uh, Ronnie Bodine uh, into a uh, Sanford and Sons kind of a thing. I can see that, and actually, yeah. I think about. I know a person I can talk to about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. I really enjoyed doing Ronnie Bodine. It was uh, Stephen Paul's uh, and and yours, I guess, uh, idea that uh, the uh, kind of like the dude, right? Uh, right. Play against, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, play against type and and all that, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's what I like is something uh, to do that's kind of new and uh, and and different. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm so glad that we Indians have gotten to the point we do, where we don't take ourselves so damn seriously anymore. You know. And that's always been my like wish as a kid to see us as just people 
you know, and we always see like action heroes, but we never see native action heroes. The people that look like us are usually the bad guys. And then, you know, to see them in comedy stories and not have to be quote unquote Indian. And so like seeing like you've actually been a superhero in one of my favorite movies, which was Mystery Men. And so we never, yeah. we never think of, you know, it's not really said that what, what your cultural affiliation is. You're just, you know, the, the mentor who, who trains mm-hmm. these people. And so that's what I love about you and and like you said taking these rows like that yeah that was out of dark horse comics right i think it's dark yes, horse yes and we have a superhero uh amber yeah oh yeah definitely yeah oh yeah oh yeah she's batty <laughs> and then in animation we have myself and uh tantu cardinal playing the sun and the moon <laughs> Oh, I love it. Who would have thought it? You know? (laughs) So exciting. I'm curious, as a performer, uh, when you when you get when you first get a script, where do you find uh, I'm sure it differs from script to script, but you mentioned earlier doing calisthenics, and I'm curious what what do you start with when you start to build a character? Do you start with keywords like in the text? what other characters say about the character or do you do you do a physicality kind of thing when you approach when you approach a, a script uh i think keyword is context in that uh how does uh this character uh relate to this character and that character uh and how does he relate to the situation they're dealing with uh which is you know almost always the case there there's something to be overcome or something to uh get away from or uh whatever the the uh impetus is how does what my character say about the situation how does that uh tra- how does that translate into a uh, a real character how how does uh how do i make this believably human you know uh how do i as an actor make this character humanly believable and then what i really work on at that point is believing whatever it is that I'm saying. Uh, it it, it uh, might be a little psychotic or neurotic or something narcissistic or whatever. But on the other hand, if you don't believe what you say, uh, I think the camera as well as audiences can see that. It's, it's a matter of uh, being real <laughs> as an actor which that's a what, oxymoron or something like that <laughs> uh but yeah that that's my method is to uh believe what i say and i wonder as a bilingual person do you are you ever able to tap into that and maybe certain roles yes and certain roles no not so much but do you ever tap into your bilingual brain to help you get there to find characters and believe <laughs> Yeah, actually, I have done that. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, it helps that, uh, for one, that I uh, <clears throat> can uh, talk and think in a different language. And depending on what the text of the uh, dialogue is, I'll uh, I'll think of it in terms of how would I say this as a Cherokee guy? And uh, how would I say this as a English-speaking guy? 
and sometimes there's a, a little something there that uh, that helps the performance uh, uh, one way or another. But uh, uh, yeah, that as well as uh, I've spoken a lot of different languages over time, and uh, I'm sure they have either an English or a uh, a Cherokee accent to them because you know, that's where it comes from, right? In any case, I, I find it useful that while while my brain is one, uh, the two methods of conversation that it can can do is uh, is helpful in terms of uh, creating uh, either a, a native character or an English speaking character uh, for whatever role it is. It's uh, it's complicated. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> is there a Cherokee historical figure or story in particular that you would like to see made into some kind of a television streaming movie something like that yeah I, there's there's a character i would call him kind of a freedom fighter type uh, that we had back in the day called Gansin. and that's his actually uh, his name in english is dragon canoe and uh, he did uh, he laid the groundwork for what actually happened uh, as time went on from like about the uh, 16, uh, late 1600s into the mid 1700s, thereabouts. And uh, there's there's actually a book out by a, an author named Nadia Dean, I think it's called A Demand of Blood, which is essentially a tracking of, of uh, Gansin's uh, or Dragon Canoe's uh, activities back during dealing with both the, uh, the Brits and the soon-to-be Americans. Uh, that's that's one historical thing that I've seen, but uh, uh, I'd also like to see a more realistic uh, story about Will Rogers. You know, he was, he was a small amount of Cherokee, but... Uh, but but he was influenced so much by uh, those around him who were Cherokees. You know, they were the, the Rogers family was uh, people who had uh, accepted uh, uh, the way of life and uh, even the, the way of thinking of the predominant society, essentially. But he was also surrounded by old guys like my great grandfather. Uh, actually went to goat ropings where he was present, where Will Rogers, uh, the, the, that's what they used to do in the Cooks and Hills was uh, uh, rope goats if they didn't have calves to rope, you know, uh, cowboy types that they were. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Old Man Glory was uh, about the same age as him and had known him. But I, I'd like to see a more realistic development of who he was because uh, in a way, he, he kind of is the epitome of how Cherokees have uh, adapted to the uh, larger society. And uh, whether he was recognized so much uh, for being Cherokee as as uh, much as, or he wasn't recognized as being Cherokee as much as he was as an entertainer. But uh, you'll notice if you go back and time, you'll see that 
he did make many references to uh, uh, the differences between Cherokee culture and uh, and the overall. But yeah, those are two stories that uh, come to mind. Yeah, yeah those that would be, be great. great. Yeah, and including the fact that he's sort of a humorist, like again, like Indian mm-hmm. picking. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. yeah, but you know, you know, funny guys are usually pretty serious guys, right? In their mm-hmm. own, you know. So it's kind of like when I worked on uh, Mystery Men, I, I worked with several uh, comic type uh, actors and performers, and uh, uh, I watched them from <clears throat> time to time on set when there was nothing to do, wherein they're trying out materials on each other, you know? Uh, they they start out telling a story to uh, the group, and the response was never laughter, which it evoked in me when I'm sitting 10, 20 feet away listening to them. It evoked laughter out of me, but the best that they could get from one another was like, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing on the inside. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and, yeah. and that is true because like with um, with Will Rogers and our newspaper has daily quotes of Will Rogers. And yeah. it has, it's funny, but if you look at the layers of it or what he's saying under the subtext of what he's saying is mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. serious, a very serious tone mm-hmm. about the p- political yeah. establishment, about things that are really serious within our societies. And that's why mm-hmm. I think it's relevant today with what he's saying, because it still maintains, you know. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. It maintains. And then in the telling of the story about him, you could Batmanize it, you know, make him dark. Wait. Oh, OK. <laughs> Remember, because Batman used to be kind of a, a uh, uh, not so dark of a character on television, right? The series, yeah, way back that right. comic. Right. Well, that's how he was introduced to the public. Was uh, he was a, a good uh, guy, uh, you know, just uh, um, nothing dark about him. But then along came uh, was it Michael Keaton, was one Michael of the first Keaton. ones, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and then he became a more interesting kind of a person. And so, you know, who knows? He could use some poetic license uh, in developing Will Rogers as a uh, different kind of guy. Yeah, that is interesting, because like if you like watch biopics or read uh, autobiographies of like those performers of that era, especially the vaudeville era, there is like this darkness underlying on it. I mean, like, you know, Abbott and Costello are hilarious. But if you hear their backstory of how they didn't get along, how much they kind of disliked each other and all these kind of things and and how, you know, some of them end up getting gambling and like with Fatty Arbuckle, he ended up, you know, going yeah. to going to jail because somebody uh, got murdered, you know? And so it's like all these crazy things that happen. Good. I, I hope I got some creative juices stirred up here. <laughs> All right, let, let's try to get those two two shows off the ground. Those two stories. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget Sanford and Sanford, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That that actually came from a... It would be Bodine and Boy. <laughs> All right, Bodine there we go. Boy. That's it, yeah, man. <laughs> I want to see you play uh, Jason Momoa's father again. That's what I want to see. Oh, <laughs> uh, done that. <laughs> maybe not (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us we usually wrap up with a a question of you know what's inspiring you right now 
what are you reading or watching or listening to that is really inspiring you right now? Uh, the, my latest readings have been uh, there, there, mainly because I've always been interested in the difference between urban and, and rural Indians. Uh, I grew up as a rural Indian, so uh, a lot of what uh, Tommy Orange had to write in there there was was eye opening for me. And uh, then there's also the uh, the blanket dance, right? The blanket dance uh, song that had uh, song book that has to do with Tahlequah, Lawton, and Darko, you know, places that I knew uh, as a young man, and then. The actual story itself, uh, you know, it, dark but revealing, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, th- those kind of stories have uh, have been uh, very interesting for me. I don't know about inspirations, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, I've ever been inspired to do anything other than uh, please myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. We really oh, appreciate it. Was fun. And I think it this is fun. your first podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, honored. Honored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I had always been avoiding them sort of uh, up till now, and I didn't know anything about them, right? So, well, never say we never. think we're a lot of fun to talk to. Well, so are you guys. So uh, um, I guess that's it. How do you sign off? Well, unless there's anything else you want to share with us before we finish and sign off. That's all I got. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Well, once again, thank you. And remember to our listeners, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. We really try to make that work. Uh, I think it only works in person. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, yeah, let's try to harmonize that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. See you down the road. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. <laughs>